Well, good morning. I wanted us to do something a little bit different this morning. I wanted us to spend a little bit of uh, extended time in prayer together. Is that okay with you? Is that okay with you? Okay, there you go. Uh, if you're brand new with us and you just come to church maybe for the first time in the last couple of weeks and you're just kind of checking Jesus out, uh, we're going to just spend some time praying because that's what we do. We talk to God as a church, as a community, invite you to join with us. You can join your hearts with us in prayer. And I, I really hope uh, that this time in prayer that we're going to spend together as I kind of lead us through does not make you uncomfortable. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sorry. <laughs> I know that's not very Canadian, but, uh, but I hope it doesn't. I hope, I hope that uh, you feel welcomed just as you would be welcomed into someone's home, that you are welcomed into our home. But one of the things we do in our home here at Bayview Glen Church is, is pray for one another and together. So let's do that. Would you bow with me? Ecclesiastes say, says that we uh, come before God's throne and we let our words be few. So we have now sung our praise to God, and I would invite you just to quiet your heart before him, and just in these next couple moments, be still and know that he is God. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So my uh, exhortation, my invitation to you now is to bring your praise before God. Understand the difference between praise and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is thanking God for things that he's done. Praising him is praising him for who he is. He is holy. He is gracious. He is kind. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He is just. So in your heart, whatever God kind of prompts, would you just bring that before him and praise him? The Bible says we have a really good heavenly father that's better at being a father than we could ever dream to be so we can bring our supplication, our requests before him. So each of us knows someone, each of us in this room knows someone that could use a touch from God in a way that draws them to himself. We talked about last week here opening a door for the gospel and so I would just invite you to pray for one person by name, just one, and ask that God would give you an opportunity to open a door for Jesus in their life. And that you would just lift them up to him right now. The Bible also commands us to pray for those among us who are sick, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever the case may be. And so um, before we do this, but so I'm going to ask some people to raise your hand here in a minute. Um, but so, so you know when I ask you to raise your hand, this is what we're about to do. I'm going to ask everyone who would like prayer for some kind of physical, emotional, uh, mental illness, wellness thing that's going on in your life to raise your hand or... 
if you would like to stand in the gap for someone who's not here and say, you know what, it's not me, but I represent someone close to me, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand here in a moment. And then what I'm going to ask some people around you to do is just reach out and put uh, their hand on your shoulder. And then you're going to tell them just the name of the person. It could be yourself and the name of the person you're standing in the gap for. And then I'm going to pray on behalf of all of us. So I'm going to ask you here in a minute if you want prayer or if you'd like to stand in the gap for somebody, understand that right after that, someone's going to put their hand on your shoulder and pray for you. So um, if you don't raise your hand, that's okay. We're still praying for you. We still love you. We're still on your team. But if, if you are, are, want prayer for, for something that's going on in your life uh, in terms of illness or want to stand in the gap for somebody and want prayer this morning, on three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Good. Grab a shoulder of that person that's got a hand up. Put a hand on the shoulder. Make sure you got a hand on somebody's shoulder. If there's somebody's shoulder that doesn't have a hand on the shoulder, then you better get a hand on that shoulder. I said shoulder a bunch of times. All right. So, God, we lift up these uh, individuals who are now coming to you and saying... Um, you are the divine healer. You are the great physician. You, oh God, are in control and sovereign and good. And we come to you, God, knowing that healing is not always your will, but it's always our privilege to ask. It's our privilege to ask because you have opened the gates of heaven. You have allowed us to come before your throne of grace with confidence. You have allowed us to call you Abba, Daddy, Father. We come to you, oh Father, and ask for healing. On behalf of these who have raised, uh, those who have raised their hands here today and need healing themselves, and on behalf of those who uh, they're standing in the gap for. We also ask for healing for those who maybe just didn't want a hand on their shoulder, and that's okay, that didn't raise their hand, that's okay, God, but we invite you to be at work in their life as well. We ask you, God, for your divine touch in their life. Thank you, oh God, for hearing our prayers. Thank you in advance for what you're going to do. We are so, so grateful the opportunity even to pray together as a family of grace. Now we come to your word, oh God, and we ask that you would open our eyes and open our ears, that you would convict and draw us near to yourself and encourage. In Christ's name, the people of God with enthusiasm said, Amen. Amen. That's good enthusiasm. I like that. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate that, buddy. Heard your voice. The first service was a little sleepy, so they gave me a amen. All right. Uh, hi, good morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 1. We continue our series in John, and we're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51, and John's going to tell us about Jesus calling his very first disciples. You've probably heard of his disciples. Uh, there was a song I learned growing up, there were 12 disciples, Jesus called to help him, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, his brother, John. I don't want to actually... Um, punish you with the rest of that. But this in the book of John is Jesus calling his very first disciples. But what we have to do is skip to the end of this account to a plot twist. We're going to skip to the end of this account to a plot twist because the plot twist at the end of John 1, 35 through 51 will frame all of what we're about to read. Have you ever seen a movie or a show that's got a plot twist at the end? Like, you're tracking with the characters, and you're tracking with the plot, and you're emotionally invested, but by the end of this thing, there's a plot twist. We, Amy and I just finished a show. We're, we're kind of boring people, so we put our two-and-a-half-year-old down, and then we get in bed and watch shows on iTunes. That's kind of what we do for fun, and then we go to bed at, like, quarter to ten. It's great. So one of the shows that we just finished, I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't want to ruin it, has a crazy plot twist at the end, like three minutes left in the show, and it makes me want to go back and re-watch all 12 episodes once again because the characters and the storyline and all the interactions 
are different now that I know the plot twist. Has that ever happened to you? What's the one where Bruce Willis is dead the whole time? What's that movie? Sixth Sense. Okay, cool. If you haven't seen that, Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. And at the end of the show, what happens is you want to watch the whole thing again because now it's different. Now there's a plot twist. Now there's, oh my gosh, and things just kind of pop with crystal clarity once again. You're going, oh, that makes total sense. We don't have time this morning because we took some time in prayer, which is exactly what we needed to do, but we got to zip through this. So what we don't have time to do is go through John chapter 1, 35 through 51, and then go reread it all the way through. We're just going to zip to the plot twist at the end, okay? Just so we have a frame of reference, and then we're going to let the plot twist inform the calling of the first disciples. Everybody with me? Good. Here's the plot twist. John chapter 1, verse 51. And he, that's Jesus, said to him, that's Nathaniel, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, you guys are looking at me like, what in the world was that? Like, I have no idea what that means. Like, the reason why is because we're 21st century Canadians. We're not first century Jews. Because these two phrases in John chapter 1, verse 51, would have been so familiar to the first century Drew. These two, first century Jew, not the first century Drew. That's different. First century Jew. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending and Son of Man would have been such a part of the common nomenclature and phrasing and language that people use. They understood these motifs. They were so ingrained in their soul and who they were that they could just spit these phrases back out at you without thinking about it. Like if I said, oh, Canada, we stand on... Yeah, see, it's just part of our normal language. Same thing with these phrases. If I said to a Leafs fan, there's always next year, right? It's always this part of your normal kind of language. Same thing goes for the angels ascending and descending and son of man. So in order to understand the calling of the first disciples and what Jesus is doing, we have to understand those two phrases, son of man and angels ascending and descending. And we're going to take them in reverse order. We're going to start with son of man. We're going to start with son of man. There is an Old Testament book called the book of Daniel that talks about the son of man. If you want to flip there, you're welcome to put your finger in your Bible and start flipping backwards. If you don't flip there, that's fine. The scripture is going to be up here on the screen. But track with me when it comes to context here. I know we're moving fast this morning, but we got a lot to cover. Daniel, about 600 years before Jesus came around, was part of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was taken into captivity in Babylon. Daniel, along with a couple of his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, you might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were taken into captivity in Babylon. And God begins to give Daniel these dreams and visions, and he writes them down in the book of Daniel. The first six chapters of the book of Daniel were prophecies, dreams, and visions regarding modern kingdoms. Well, modern for Daniel, 2,600 years ago for us, but modern for Daniel. The second half, chapters 7 through 13, were visions and dreams regarding the end of things. When God finishes his redemptive plan, when God 
completes what he started. And Daniel starts to get these visions, and he starts to write them down. And he gets this vision or this dream where a lot of crazy stuff happens. He sees a vision of a lion with wings, and its wings are broken off. He sees a vision of a leopard with six wings. He sees a vision of a bear. Check this out. This is great. I love this. A bear with three ribs in its mouth, and it's commanded to go eat your fill of flesh. He gets a vision of this kind of crazy monster kind of creature with ten different horns. And the smallest of all the horns has a bunch of human eyes and a human mouth and it's talking. Is that not creepy or what? And Daniel chapter 7 verse 15 says this. I call this one of the no-duh verses in all scripture. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. Well, no picking kidding, Daniel. Like, this is weird stuff that you're dreaming. These visions are crazy. But the motif of the Son of Man appears in this vision in the two verses before. And this is the crux of the vision that God gives Daniel. Verses 13 and 14. They're up here on the screen. Daniel says, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a, come on now, Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days, that's God the Father, exalted above all, and was led into his presence. He, the Son of Man, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and all peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. It's so funny that that phrase son of man in the original language in Hebrew is really simple. There's not like a there's not like a neat unique translation. It literally means son of man. It's a very normal thing to say. That first word son is like Joseph bar Jonah or Jesus bar Joseph, son of man. That's it's just really simple. So how many of you in this room are the son or a daughter of a male father? Anybody? Okay, good. See, it's not abnormal. It's not strange, but it's the meaning that Daniel packs into the son of man. He says, I saw one like a son of man that was exalted. So I saw a a being that was like a human, but was also divine. I saw a being that was like a human, like a human figure, like a son of man, but was also exalted and given dominion and authority and power and glory. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. That's the son of man I saw. And so when you use the term son of man in first century Israel, everybody would have went, oh yeah, okay, I know what that is. That's Daniel chapter seven. That's exactly what Daniel's talking about. The son of man is both human and divine. The son of man is also apocalyptic. Son of man, it's apocalyptic. Sometimes when we think about this word apocalypse, we think about when like the world blows up and Will Smith fights aliens or whatever and like Apocalypse Now or whatever. Apocalypse Now is a fine movie. Read Heart of Darkness, Joseph Conrad's based, whatever. That's beside the point. The point is we think about when everything blows up. In the original language in Greek, all this word means is revealing or to reveal. So the son of man for Daniel is an apocalyptic figure. That is to say that the son of man reveals God, reveals the plan of God, reveals the character of God, reveals the justice of God, reveals the grace of God. The son of man is apocalyptic and the son of man is also sovereign. I could have picked a whole bunch of different words here, but this is the best word I could come up with because the son of man in Daniel's vision in Daniel 7 is given dominion and power and authority and glory. He's sovereign. Everything is under his control. 
this human and divine figure that is both in appearance like a son of man, but also exalted before the ancient of days, that reveals the things of God and reveals the plan of God and is in total control. This is the son of man. So when Jesus says, I am the son of man, he, which is his favorite moniker for himself, by the way. It's his favorite thing to say about himself. He doesn't say son of God very often. He doesn't say like, he says, I am the son of man. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of a 600-year-old prophecy. I am both human and divine. I am apocalyptic and I am sovereign. That is me. I am the son of man that Daniel saw in that vision over 500 years ago in Babylonian captivity. That's me. We got it? Okay, good. Now let's talk about angels ascending and descending. Angels ascending and descending. Now, I think this would be pretty cool if Jesus was in the room and we literally saw angels ascending and descending on him. I think that would be pretty interesting, right? But it meant so much more to the first century Jew. It meant so much more for the first century Hebrew mindset. So if we can enter into that mindset and see the idea of angels ascending and descending from that perspective, it's going to inform the calling of the first disciples. Remember, this is the plot twist for the disciples. See, in Genesis, God calls Abraham because he wants to start a family for himself. And God promises Abraham a son. And Abraham's old, so he laughs at God. Not a good idea, by the way. And then God ends up giving him a son, fulfilling his promise. And so God names his son, or Abraham names his son Laughter because he laughed at God. Translated into Hebrew, it's Isaac, but whatever. He names him Isaac. Isaac has two children named Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older. He should have been given the birthright. He should have been given the inheritance. He should have been the one that God used. But Jacob was a sneaky little dude, and he stole Esau's birthright. You can read about it in Genesis. And Esau, rightfully so now, gets ticked, right? Someone steals your birthright, especially back then, you would have been ticked too. And he says, Jacob, I'm going to do bad things to you. And Jacob says, no, you're not. You know why? Because I'm going to run away. And so he runs away. And he runs out to the middle of the wilderness. And while he is on the run from his brother Esau, he gets tired and he lays down. And that's where we pick up our story in Genesis 28. It says that Jacob came to Be- or left Beersheba and went, to, and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, that's clearly he's outside, he put it under his head or in a cave or something. He put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Anybody ever been on a real long travel day and you're like, this laptop seems like a good pillow? Yeah, that's what's happening here, okay? And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder. What is there? A la- oh, come on now. There is a Set up on the earth. This is what he's seeing. He's seeing a picture of the earth with a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And the angels of God were doing what now? Come on. Ascending and descending on it. Keep going. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. He actually named the place Bethel, which means house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So this is what Jacob sees in his dream. He sees a ladder coming down to the earth. He sees God in heaven and the angels are ascending and descending 
on this ladder. Essentially what Jacob sees is the intersection of heaven and earth. He sees heaven meet earth and he sees earth interact with heaven. This is Bethel. So here's what we need to know. When you said to a first century Jew that the angels are ascending and descending, immediately they would have thought of Jacob's vision. And in Jacob's vision, the, Jacob's vision, the key points are this. First of all, that heaven comes down. That heaven comes down. When the angels are ascending and descending, the gate of heaven is open. This is the place where God dwells. God's kingdom, God's presence, God's power, God's rule and reign all poured out. And this is what Jacob sees. The second thing that Jacob sees is that the earth is lifted up. Why? Because the angels aren't just descending, they're also, come on now, the angels aren't just descending, they're also, so now God can hear the prayers of man, God can interact with man, man can approach God. Angels are ascending and descending, and they are ascending and descending on a ladder. So when we think about Jesus saying the angels are ascending and descending on me, what I think about, what I picture, is Jesus standing there like this and angels ascending and descending on his head, right? Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's not like that. Think of me as the ladder. Think of me as the link that brings heaven down and lets earth come up. Think of me as the place in which heaven and earth intersect. Once separated, once divided, once they couldn't talk to one another. Now I'm the ladder and you are going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, God fulfills his promise. God fulfills his promises. He promised to Abraham to make him a great nation, to give him a bunch of descendants. And Abraham kind of messed it up a little bit. And then God fulfilled his promise anyway. And then Isaac had Jacob and Esau, and Jacob kind of messed it up a little bit. Or as my wife would say, a lot of bit. And God fulfilled his promise anyway. And through the rest of the Old Testament, we see man messing up God's stuff, and God fulfills his promise anyway, because his promise has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. So he gives us Jesus, the ladder, the link between heaven and earth where heaven can come down and earth can come up. And he fulfills his promise in Christ. Now, the Son of Man, human and divine, apocalyptic figure that's revealing the plans of God with all authority and dominion. The angels ascending and descending on the ladder that is Jesus. Jesus introducing heaven to earth, allowing earth to talk back. The fulfillment of all of God's promises. That's who we have in Jesus. John 1, verse 51. Now I want you to set that aside just for a minute, okay? Now, let's go over here. When a rabbi in the first century called followers to himself. And this happened with every rabbi. I say when, not if. It wasn't conditional. Every religious teacher, these were called rabbis. They were just people who taught the Old Testament and they taught the things of God. They taught spirituality. They had followers. They were called disciples. And these guys were typically young men and they'd walk around to these rabbis and they would say, tell me about God, tell me about life, talk to me, and, and teach me and instruct me. And these rabbis would do that. They would instruct them. They would teach them. They would help them grow in, grow in manhood and grow in godliness and grow in character and learn more about spiritual things and about the things of God. Every rabbi would call 
disciples. If you did not have disciples, you were not a rabbi. (laughs) So when Jesus tells us and tells his first disciples, I am the son of man, the fulfillment of Daniel 7. I am the link of the ladder on which the heavens come down and the earth is lifted up. I'm the fulfillment of all of God's promises. You might think that when I call you to myself and say, follow me, you might think you're just a disciple following a rabbi like normal. But I'm telling you, there's a difference between what you think is happening or what you might expect to happen or what might have been in your mind from people sharing with you, this is what it means to follow a rabbi, this is what it means to follow a teacher, or modern times, yeah, Jesus is a good teacher, Jesus is a good man, Jesus would respond, yeah, I am a good teacher, great teacher, yeah, I am a good man, but I am the son of man, the fulfillment of prophecy. I am the ladder that links heaven and earth. I have all sovereign authority and control. I am the God man. I bring heaven down and lift earth up. There is a difference when I call you to be my disciple. Understand there's a difference. So here's what I want to do. Now that we see the plot twist, now that we see Jesus ain't any old rabbi, I want to tell you four differences when it comes to walking with Jesus as his disciples. Four things that are different than you and I might expect based on the calling of the first disciples. And here's what I need you to do this morning. We need to do this participatory thing, okay? Every main point ends with this phrase, there's a difference. So I need you to say this with me. There's a difference. Okay, I'm going to make my main point, and then you're going to say there's a difference. One more time. All right, so now that we see the plot twist, let's start at the beginning of the story. John chapter 1, verse 35. Everybody with me? John 1, 35. The scripture is always up here on the screen. It says, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Because see, John the Baptist, who we talked about last week, just opening a door for Jesus, he was a rabbi too. He was a teacher too. He was an instructor too. And he had disciples just like any other rabbi or or just any other rabbi or teacher had disciples. And he, that's John the Baptist, looked at Jesus. And as he walked by, John said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And John panicked and tried to get his disciples back. Nope. Because he knows that Jesus is the son of man, the one on whom the angels ascend and descend. You just go follow that guy. Jesus turned and saw them uh, following and said to them, what are you seeking? That might be a fairly pertinent question for some of us in the room today. What are you looking for? What are you after? Jesus asked you the same thing. What do you really want? Just keep reading. And they said to him, Rabbi... There's the word, teacher, instructor, mentor. Thanks, John, for translating, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Jesus said to them, love it. Keep going. Come and you will see. I love that invitation. So they came and saw where he was staying. They stayed with him for that day, 
for it was about the 10th hour. The 10th hour means it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The Jewish uh, time for the day starts at sunrise. So if you fast forward 10 hours from sunrise, it's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak, that's John the Baptist, and followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Just a quick comment. The other disciple who was following John the Baptist first and then transferred over to following Jesus is not named here in the text. We only know that one of them was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Bible scholars have concluded that that other disciple was none other than our apostle, our evangelist, John, who's writing. But he never names himself in his book because he's too humble to name himself. He just calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he doesn't name himself at all here in this text. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Now, stop there. I want you to understand that there has been a transition now in the minds of these disciples. Has there not? Because originally they were following John the Baptist. Originally they were learning from him. Originally he was their rabbi, their instructor, their mentor, their teacher. And so when Jesus comes along, they think he's just kind of any other rabbi. And he says to them, Come and you will see. And they address him as such. They say, Rabbi, which means teacher. But then they spend some time with him, don't they? Then they spend 10, 12 hours with him. And so when Andrew leaves Jesus' presence after spending 10 or 12 hours with him, he's no longer rabbi or teacher. Who is he now? Messiah. Christ. And he goes to find his brother and he goes, you cannot believe who we just found. See, here's point number one. If you're jotting notes down, jot this down, and you're going to repeat this phrase with me, all right? Jesus is teacher and Jesus is Lord. There's a difference. Come on, say it with me. There's a difference. Jesus is teacher and Jesus is Lord. There's a difference. And understand that the very clear claim of Christ is that he is Lord. He is the Son of Man. He is the fulfillment of a 600-year-old prophecy. He's the fulfillment of all God's promises. He's the only link between heaven and earth. He's the ladder that brings heaven down and lifts earth up with him. He is Lord, not just teacher. Now, some of us think that we can take Jesus as teacher, but, you know, get a little bit from this teacher and a little bit from this teacher. You know, Jesus has got some good stuff to say in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Confucius has got some good stuff to say, and Buddhists has got some good stuff to say, and we can kind of pick and choose where we want, and Jesus enters the, enters the picture, and he says, no, friends, I'm not just any normal rabbi. Yes, I am a rabbi. Yes, I am a teacher, but I'm Lord, and responding to an individual as a teacher and responding to them as master and Lord and authority and dominion and power and glory like we just read about in Daniel 7, it's a very different response. See, teachers instruct us, and then we decide whether or not we want to take their advice, right? Lords say jump, and we say how high. See, teachers give us counsel and advice, and we might seek counsel and advice from other people. We might seek a second opinion. You don't seek a second opinion when a Lord tells you to do something. See, some of us think that when Jesus says to do something hard... It's an option. When Jesus tells us to be humble and apologize, when Jesus tells us to give sacrificially, when Jesus tells us to be at peace with one another, when Jesus tells us to stay sexually pure, when Jesus tells us don't get drunk on wine, 
when Jesus tells us to love our wives as I love the church, if he's a teacher, we go, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. If he's Lord, we say, you spoke all of those things into existence, so you probably know best how to use them. There was no such thing before of marriage before Jesus spoke it into existence. No such thing as children. No such thing as stars or the moon. No such thing as parenting. No such thing as wine before Jesus spoke it into existence. Praise God. No such thing as, as sexuality. No such thing as relationships. He created them. He is Lord. He's the Son of Man. The angels are ascending and descending on him. He brings heaven down and he tells us, this is how it works. And we say, yes, Lord. That's the call of discipleship. So the first thing Andrew does when he starts to follow Jesus and acknowledge him as Lord, not just teacher, because there's a difference. The first thing Andrew does is he runs and gets his brother. I love this. Keep reading. He, that's Andrew, brought him, that's his brother Simon, to Jesus. Jesus looked at Simon and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, for those of you who are Bible scholars, this might be funny to you because you know that Peter is a little bit of a rapscallion, if you will. Uh, his name before it was Peter was Simon. Simon literally means good listener. <laughs> now, that's funny if you know Peter because he was not. Jesus changed his name to Peter, which means rock. Probably put dumb as a rock on the front of that, but that's Simon. Okay, that's Peter. So here's the thing. When Simon responds to the call of Christ, he's given a new name, especially back then. But even now, names mean a lot. When we adopted Kaya, we changed her name. We changed her first name, and she was given our last name. She's now a Cooper. She's given a new identity. She's given a new name. Same thing goes with Peter. He's given a new name, a new identity. You're a new person. You're different now. You're not the same as you were before. Some of us like to be influenced by Jesus. We like our little WWJD wristbands, don't we? Like, oh, what would Jesus do in this situation? I would like to be influenced by him. But being influenced by Jesus and being changed by Jesus, what? There's a difference. Being influenced by Jesus, slide please, and being changed by Jesus, there's a difference. Say it with me. There's a difference. There's a difference. Looking to Jesus says, hey, you can shape me and you can influence me. Jesus says, ah, I don't want to do that. Here's what I want to do. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a influenced creation. No. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are different now. New identity. You are not the same. Jesus says, you want to come after me? Here's what you do. You pick up your cross, deny yourself, and come after me. You, the old you, is dead. My favorite verse in all scripture, Galatians 2.24. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. So much so that I don't even need my old name anymore. I'll just be called Rock. I wasn't a good listener to begin with, Peter would say, right? So I'll just be called Rock now. I have a new name, a new identity. It's not just about Jesus influencing me. It's about Jesus changing me radically. See, a lot of us are keen on Jesus meeting us where we're at. We're just a little picky as to where he takes us from there, aren't we? But Jesus comes along and he says, I'm not any normal rabbi. I'm not just here to influence, I'm here to change. Keep reading, next verse. 
the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, another disciple. Now we've got Andrew and his brother Simon, which changed his name to Peter. Now we've got another disciple. And what's the invitation now? It's no longer come and see, is it? What is it? Follow me. Learn from me. Walk like I walk. Talk like I talk. Love what I love. Do what I do. Say what I say. Live your life in response to how you see me living my life. I'm not just here to instruct you as a rabbi. I am the son of man that links heaven and earth. So I have the authority. See, initially, the first disciples were invited to come and see, to hang out with Jesus, to explore Jesus, to ask questions about Jesus, to get to know Jesus. But hanging out with Jesus and following Jesus, there's a difference. Say it with me. There's a difference. There's a difference. See, a lot of us like to hang out with Jesus because Jesus is a good guy. Jesus makes us feel good about ourselves. Jesus has grace for us, and that's awesome. Hanging out with Jesus is great. And if you're here and you are brand new with us, understand that you have all the time in the world to ask the, you don't have all the time in the world. Hmm. Say that, let me say that a different way. Understand that Jesus is so patient with you and with me. And he wants us to hang out with him and ask questions and get to know him and spend time with him. But the end game of this whole thing is that we would follow Jesus, not just hang out with Jesus. Because hanging out with Jesus and following Jesus, there's a difference. He's inviting us to follow him as Lord and master and deliverer and redeemer and king. When we read these uh, accounts of the first disciples, not just here in John, but even in the synoptic gospels, you know, Jesus walks by the Sea of Galilee and he says to his disciples, follow me. And it's almost as if we picture Jesus like materializing out of nowhere, right? Like he's just walking along the Sea of Galilee and stuff just kind of comes together and all of a sudden there's this figure walking and he walks up to one of the guys in the boat and he says, follow me. Because that's how Jesus talked. And he said, follow me. And his disciples go, wow, you have a great voice. I'll follow you. What's your name again? This is not how things work. You know how I know that? Because John the Baptist was his cousin. John the Apostle, who's writing this book, was his cousin on the other side, on the paternal side, I think. John the, John the Baptist was maternal. Yep, John the Baptist was maternal. John the Apostle, we don't know. But he's still his cousin. We know that for sure. Like, here's the point, here's the point, okay? You're going, what in the world's going on? Here's the point. Jesus didn't materialize out of nowhere and say, follow me. You know what? These guys have been hanging around with Jesus for a long time. They came from the same towns. They had the same family, some of them. Like, they had the same friends. They probably were, you know, in trades together. Jesus was a carpenter, son of the carpenter, fisherman, and all these different guys. They, they knew him. They had spent time with him. They had hung out with him. But they make this transition from hanging out with him and exploring and learning into following him. See, that's the same invitation. It's not just about hanging out with Jesus. Some of you like hanging out with Jesus. It's fine. That's okay. But the goal is always that you follow him. Let's finish the text and we'll be done. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, which just means city of fish. Love that name. The city of Andrew and the city of Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him, that's Jesus, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like what good stuff comes from that city? Philip said to him, why don't you just come and see? 
Come and see, buddy. See, here's the thing. Nathaniel wants to come to Jesus on his terms. That's what he wants. Can anything good come from Nazareth? But Jesus is inviting Nathaniel to come on his terms, on Jesus' terms, not on Nathaniel's terms. Keep reading. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, before Philip invited you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the king in Israel. Now Nathaniel's approaching Jesus on Jesus' terms. You see, coming to Jesus on your terms and coming to Jesus on Jesus' terms, there's a difference. Jesus on your terms and Jesus on his terms, come on now, there's a difference. See, we want to come to Jesus on our terms. And what we've done in modern society, especially, and throughout the last 2,000 years, we've tweaked the call of Christ. We've tweaked the identity of Christ. We said, yeah, he's not Lord, he's a good teacher. No, he's not king, he's, he's a good prophet. And we've kind of tweaked it, and Jesus is going, no, 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 that's on your terms. And you're saying that because it makes it easier for you. The call of Christ and the call of discipleship is a call to lay down one's life and follow Jesus as Lord and King. The Son of Man, the only link between heaven and earth, on whom the angels ascend and descend, that allows heaven to come down and earth to come up. This apocalyptic figure that is both human and divine. Jesus says, that is me. And so when you approach me, you approach me on my terms. As king, son of God. Some of you have maybe never heard this before. That this is the call of Christ. It has been the call of Christ for the last 2,000 years. It's not a call to acknowledge. Okay. Yeah, I acknowledge that there was a Jesus. It's not a call to mental assent. It's not a call to agreement. It's a call to discipleship. And it's a call to respond to Jesus on his terms, to lay down our lives and follow him. This is the call of Christ. Let's finish the text and we'll be done. We'll conclude together. Jesus answered him, that's Nathaniel. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? There's our key word for the series, is it not? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God doing what? Ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's the plot twist. Not just a normal rabbi, not just a teacher, not just a good guy, not just a prophet, although all of those things. But Lord and King, the only link between heaven and earth, the only one that has the power to save, the only name that can redeem us, worth our lives, worth our sacrifice, worth all that we have. And this is his call. And rightfully so. Pray with me. Just in the next moments of quiet as we prepare to respond, even in song. Some of you, maybe for the first time today, need to make that transition from hanging out with Jesus to following Jesus. And it's not complicated. All it is is saying, Jesus, I've been hanging out with you and getting to know you, and now I want to follow you. I want to turn from, from kind of running my own way and turn and follow you. 
I confess that I've run away. I've confessed that I've rebelled. I've confessed that I've done things I shouldn't have done, that the good I could have done, I didn't do. And now I want to follow you and learn from you. Just be your disciple and acknowledge you not just as teacher, but as Lord. If you'd like to do that today, you can just pray that prayer in your heart. God hears you and he knows. If you'd like somebody to lead you through that, you can come talk to me, talk to anybody with a name tag this morning. They'll help you walk through that prayer or find somebody that'll help you walk through it. But this week as I've been praying about this message, I get this sense, and I think it's from the Spirit, so I just submit it before you, that there are folks in this room that maybe have called themselves a Christian for a long time, and, and maybe you are saved and lamb, written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and, and no one's going to erase your name from that book, and Jesus has you, but you've reverted to hanging out with Jesus, not following Jesus. You've reverted to accepting instruction from a teacher, not responding to Jesus as Lord. You've reverted to all kinds of different Here's my invitation to you this morning to repent and say, Jesus, your Lord, it's no longer about hanging out with you. It's about following you. Jesus, your king, you're not just a teacher. I'm coming to you on your terms now, not my terms. I come to you in repentance and faith. I lay my life down before you one more time. continue in that posture of prayer, we're going to turn our hearts now to song. The song has just got great words. Lord, I come and I confess that I need you. So if that's the cry of your heart this morning, make this your prayer and sing about our need for Jesus. Let's stand together as we sing.